Welcome to the Facts or What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Hello, I'm your host, Dave Swinford. And in this episode, we're going to give you an alternate perspective on the temperature increases supposedly caused by climate change. Now, the media and the climate crusaders would have you believe that it's causing irreparable harm to our world, that we're driving up temperatures beyond livable levels, and we're dooming the future of younger generations. Is that really happening? Is any of that true? And is it really that bad? Now, we're being told that mankind is raising the temperature of the world with the burning of fossil fuel and then the subsequent increase in CO2. How much have we changed it? Well, the number I've been able to dig up is about one to one and a quarter degrees centigrade, which translates to about two degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that increase is over the pre-industrial time, and that's so, so that's about over the last 150 years. Now, another question you should be asking is, what is that temperature rise relative to, to and how do we know that the reference temperature itself is any good? Has the current warming caused anything bad, like hurricanes, tornadoes, forest fires? The answer to that question is no, at least not yet. Everyone that has taken any kind of serious look at the data has failed to show any correlation. In fact, the trend for all those calamities is downward, not upward. And here we are in 2022. We've only seen seven named storms during the hurricane season by the end of September. And that includes, of course, tropical storms. So the number of hurricanes has been on the decline for years. Forest fires have been going down since the 1930s. Has sea level been rising? Well, only for the last 20,000 years. It's been averaging about a 3-millimeter rise per year. So in a 1,000 years, it may be up 3 meters or about 10 feet. And if that happens over the course of a 1,000 years, I believe we're going to have plenty of time to react and to accommodate it. Now, we've all heard these predictions of future climate doom, right? And so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, you may have seen that, they evaluate these scenarios of future conditions and they plug all those things in their models. Now, these scenarios include the technical aspects of how much solar energy is trapped in the, quote, greenhouse of our planet, and those are expressed as Representative Concentration Pathways, RCP. Now, these scenarios also include the political and social aspects, and they call that the Shared Socioeconomic Pathways, the SSPs. And those include predictions of population growth, GDP per capita, energy use, and the type of energy use, public policies, etc. They fire up their models, and they plug in these guesses on what's going to happen in the world in the future using the SSPs, and they parameterize their guesses on the technical side using the RCPs, on what the reaction of the environment and the climate will be to the level of greenhouse gases in those scenarios. What's the result? Well, at best case, with RCP 1.9, it seems that we will stay about where we are, which is a little over 1 degree C versus the pre-industrial base. And at worst case, with RCP 8.5, we'll see about 5 degrees C above the pre-industrial base. Now, just remember, you can translate centigrade to Fahrenheit, but basically doubling it. So one degree centigrade is 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. 
so the, there's a table that's going to be in the Substack sub article that you can uh, download and look at. And this is from a Wikipedia page on RCPs, and it references a 2021 study. That's the most recent 2021 study on most likely emission scenarios. Now, remember, these temperature predictions are above the pre-industrial base, so you get to subtract about 1.25 from these to get at the increase above current temperatures. And so those go from RCP 1.9, which is, gets you from 1 to 1.5 degrees. RCP 2.6 is 1.5 to 2. RCP 3.4 is 2 to 2.4. RCP 4.5 is 2.5 to 3. And it goes on up to there to RCP 8.5. Now, most scientists believe RCP 8.5 is way larger than will happen and the most accurate future is probably RCP 3.4 or maybe even RCP 2.6. Now, for those of you who don't have the table in front of you, RCP 3.4, the maximum is 2.4 degrees C. RCP 2.6 is 2 degrees C. And again, you get to subtract about a degree, degree one degree off of those. So... RCP 3.4, RCP 3.4.5, let's say, at 3, so that would be 2 degrees Fahrenheit, 2 degrees C increase over now, which would be about a 4 degrees F temperature rise by the year 2100. Let's put this in context. We have a huge range of temperatures across the United States, which varies mostly by geographic latitude, but also whether they're coastal, whether they're in high humidity areas, desert, etc. And just and I got a bunch of numbers off of the Wikipedia for the climate page for a bunch of cities. So if you just look at the state of Alabama, the average daily high temperature varies from seventy eight point four degrees Fahrenheit in Montgomery to only seventy three point eight degrees Fahrenheit in Huntsville at the northern edge of the state. Now that's almost that's almost a 5-degree Fahrenheit difference, or about 2.5 degrees C. So we could have Montgomery temperatures in Huntsville by, say, the year 2100. But since there's already about a 1 degree C baked into the current temperatures, remember, that's versus the pre-industrial days, it's really only like about half of that. So maybe we would have Birmingham temperatures in Huntsville? That doesn't sound so scary to me. But just to be clear... Mankind mostly prospers during the warm periods and struggles during cooling periods. The Vikings evidently inhabited parts of Greenland and raised crops and livestock only to have to depart a few hundred years later due to not being able to sustain a livelihood in the cooling climate. The Romans were reported to have raised grapevines for wine at extreme northern latitudes that hasn't been accomplished since. Now, you also have to ask the question about how good our historical temperatures, pre-industrial temperatures, really really are. How good is the reference that we are comparing it to? We didn't have gee whiz automated computerized collection systems in the 17 and 1800s. Heck, even in the early 1900s. They depended on people walking outside at predetermined times and writing down a temperature that they read off of a mercury thermometer and putting that on a piece of paper. Did they actually catch the high and low? Eh, most probably not. Now, there's an image in the Substack article that goes with this, and it, it shows a, a collection sheet, a data collection sheet, where they supposedly recorded the highest temperature ever in Death Valley. And I think that was 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, was this temperature calibrated? 
accurately calibrated? Who knows, right? And they didn't take these temperatures everywhere because they didn't have collection places everywhere. And, of course, why would they? So there are very few long temperature records. The longest is probably the Central England Temperature Record, CET they call it, which begins at 1659 and runs up until today. There's a graph I've included in here. It shows from Patrick Moore. It shows this long-term temperature record versus the current CO2 levels, versus past and current CO2 levels. So if you look at this, it looks like there's a really slow rise in temperature, and it doesn't correlate very strongly to CO2. So someone needs to tell CO2 to get busy and drive those temperatures up more. As Dr. Roy Spencer points out, the assumption that CO2 is causing this warming is predicated on the belief that the climate was in equilibrium before we started burning fossil fuels and putting carbon into the air, which is a really bad assumption. There's no way to reliably know how much of this CO2 in the atmosphere is from mankind versus natural sources such as outgassing from the oceans. Now, what is the significance of all this? I mean, I've never really understood what this fascination was with the average worldwide temperature. What's that supposed to tell me? Seriously, if you know, leave a comment because it just seems like a stupid parameter to me. If you average the temperature, say, Miami and Cleveland, what do you get? If you average the entire global temperature and you get a number, what is the significance of that number? Does it tell you whether you can plant crops, grow timber, raise animals? Because that's what's really important. Mathematically, we can always compute an average, but is it meaningful and does it tell an accurate story? If I take a black and white checkerboard and I average the color across it, the result will be gray. Now, while that's technically correct, it doesn't accurately represent the checkerboard. When I average the temperature data from Minot, North Dakota with Miami, Florida, what does that mean? Seriously, if you know, leave a comment. I'd I'd like to hear a, a discussion on that. For studying climate, wouldn't it be better to study a 100-mile by 100-mile area and see what has been affected over time? Wouldn't it be better to look at, say, daily maximum or daily minimum temperatures for a location rather than average of the two numbers aggregated together? So our local media told us that we just had the hottest July on record this year. They said it was because it was the nighttime temperature lows were higher than normal. So when you average the the two numbers together, voila, we have a hotter than normal July. Now, if, if, we really, if we really have had this two degrees Fahrenheit rise in average temperature, would we even feel it? Our daily temperatures vary by 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit from the daily high to the daily low, and usually that's around 20 degrees. Our daily highs can vary by almost 50 degrees from summer versus winter. Now, some environmentalists or climate scientists hadn't told us we've had global warming since pre-Civil War times. I'm not sure anybody would know or care. So, if we are causing warming, you have to ask the question, is it bad? And I'd like to give you the example of Yuma, Arizona, which is one of the hottest desert areas in the country, but is also an agricultural mecca. The daily High is 88.1 degrees Fahrenheit. Average daily high. There's that average again, right? The average daily high is 88.1 degrees Fahrenheit. 
And they grow all kinds of crops all year long, summer, winter, spring, fall, using the soil, the warmth of the sun, and irrigation from the Gila River. And much of that, much of the lettuce that you eat comes from Yuma, Arizona. And you can grow food in the desert, but you can't grow food on a glacier. If you get to pick, pick warmer. Extending the growing season for northern climates might be a good thing. Now, the average high in Yuma is almost 18 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than Des Moines, Iowa which is in the Midwest where much much of our corn and wheat is raised. And the worst case for global warming, all they're predicting is a few degrees, way less than 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, mankind and animals have adapted to much warmer and cooler temperatures through ice ages and warm periods. It's much easier for humans to live where it's warm. So to answer one of our initial questions, is it bad? Well, personally, I don't think so. Now, I know the counterargument to this will be, about polar ice caps melting, habitat and biodiversity of flora and fauna, and how this rapid change will not allow for adaptation. Don't ever forget that alligators survived the Ice Age. Now, it could be true that most plants and animals have a, you know, might struggle with this, but they generally have a fairly broad range of conditions that they survive and flourish in. And there's really no way for quote, scientists, to predict these things with reliability and precision. Most, if not all, the doomsday predictions are merely speculation. Rapid climate change, changes have happened before. They're called, and I hope I say this right, Dansgaard Oscar events. In a Dansgaard Oscar event, the temperature goes up between 5 to 8 degrees C, which is 9 to, 9 to 14 degrees Fahrenheit, over about a 30 to 40 year period. And scientists believe that those events have happened 25 times in the past, and they happen with a cycle of about every 1,470 years. You can see this cycle of warming and cooling in a graphic, and I've included that in the Substack article. You'll see this a lot of places, this graphic a lot of places. But you'll see that since the, the last glacial period, which is about, oh, 15, about 20, 15,000, 20,000 years ago, it's been higher many times. About 7,000 years ago during the Holocene climate optimum, it was warmer for a lot longer. Now, would you like to live when it's warm with a higher CO2 and thriving food plants, or would you rather live when it's icy and cold with lower CO2? Remember, you can't grow food on a glacier. So in conclusion, you get to decide how scared you want to be by the guesses from the scientists that are they get more funding by scaring you with dire predictions. You get to decide if the supposed 2 degrees Fahrenheit rise in temperatures since the 1850s, by the way, it's relative to a pretty sketchy set of reference data, whether that's bad for your life. You get to decide if you'd rather have a warmer climate or a cooler climate, which assumes, of course, that you and I have any influence on climate. You get to decide if you want to believe in hyperbole, assumptions and predictions of doom, or if you want to live in a greening landscape with less hurricanes, drought, and wildfires. You also get to decide if you want to believe what you're experiencing and seeing or what you, want, what you are hearing from the mainstream media and the various groups that prop up the climate change narrative because they make more money by selling you solar cells and windmills and electric cars, all in the name of saving the planet from doom. Well, thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. I'd love to have some comments. Please pass on to your friends and uh, spread the word. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to the Facts Are What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.